Welcome back, everybody. It's me. It's Dominic. Yes, that's not Noah doing the intro. Um, I'm going solo mission today to recap the UFC Fight Island 6 result and recap episode today on the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast. So just a quick breakdown of the results before we get into some news. We had Thomas Almeida and Jonathan Martinez at men's bantamweight. And Jonathan Martinez took the unanimous decision victory there. Then we went on to Claudio Silva versus James Krause. And pardon me, my notebook actually ran out of paper on Saturday night, so it's time to get a new one for the podcast. Um, but James Krause got the victory there via unanimous decision. Then we had Jimmy Crute against Modestus Bukakis at light heavyweight, and Jimmy Crute had a, an absolutely brutal knockout, two minutes and one second into round number one. Then we went on to the co-main event where Jessica Andrade made her UFC debut at the flyweight division and got the win big time with a TKO in the first round at four minutes and 55 seconds due to some nasty body shots. And lastly, the main event of the evening, Brian T. City Ortega, after nearly two years off, made his return to the octagon to fight the Korean zombie, and he looked absolutely incredible last night. Brian Ortega 2.0 is a problem in that men's featherweight division, dominated from start to finish, and got a 50-45 times 3 unanimous decision for Brian T. City Ortega. And now, it's time for everyone's favorite segment of the week. Before we get into the uh, the nitty-gritty and break down the fights and what I think is next, we've got to have the news. And there's not much news today. We had a huge news segment last week on Friday. So rightfully so, we've got a small one to start the week off here on Monday with only one new fight announcement, but it's actually a pretty big one. Um, this is scheduled to take place on January 23rd of next year, which would also be the hypothetical Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor pay-per-view that is not yet officially signed and confirmed yet. But we've got a women's flyweight fight between Joanne Calderwood and Jessica I. This is a very, very good matchup stylistically. Two women that have yet to fight each other in the UFC and two of the top five ranked women in this flyweight division that seems to just be getting more competitive and um, more intriguing as the days go by. Like I said, we now have Jessica Andrade, who entered on Saturday night and got a huge win over number one ranked Caitlin Jukagian. And now we've got Jessica I, who's ranked fifth, taking on Joanne Calderwood, who's ranked sixth. Both of them trying to make their way back up into title contention. For those of you that know, uh, Jessica I has already fought for the title against Valentina Shevchenko and Valentina destroyed her with a brutal head kick KO and for Joanne she was scheduled to be next for the title but when Valentina came down with an injury she chose to take a fight against Jennifer Maya instead of wait for Valentina to get ready so kudos to Joanne for doing that but came up short in her fight against Jennifer Maya and as we know Jennifer Maya is now scheduled to take on Valentina for the Women's Flyweight Championship next month. So that's a great fight coming up in the beginning of 2021. Joanne Calderwood 
versus Jessica I. And now on to the other stuff. Again, not a big news segment, but we did get an announcement from Bellator that they are bringing back the Grand Prix for the Men's Featherweight Championship, and that will resume next month at Bellator 252, which takes place on November 12th of 2020. And then, of course, the week after at Bellator 253, which is November 19th, we will have an additional fight. So for those of you that don't know, and again, I'm not going to hit every detail on this because like we've said many a times, we follow Bellator but not as hardcore and in-depth as the UFC. But they are known to kind of put on these Grand Prix um, tournament style events for a weight class where the champion of the division will defend his title, his or her title, and then they will also have four to six other gentlemen, if not maybe even the entire top ten, fight in a tournament style where they basically work their way through this bracket and they can eventually get to the championship fight. So the three fights that are officially on right now for that Grand Prix is the champion Patricio Freya. Pardon me if I didn't say that name right. You guys know that Noah is the 10 out of 10 name genius. So I'm just here trying to do my best to represent for Noah. Noah, if you're listening, give me a thumbs up or something, buddy. But he will be defending his belt against Pedro Carvalho. Uh, Patricio is 30-4. and four. Pedro is 11-3. and three. And then that night we will also have Daniel Weichel versus Emmanuel Sanchez. Daniel is 40-11. And, and Emmanuel is 19-4. And, and then the third fight that has been announced for the Featherweight Grand Prix for Bellator is taking place at 250, Bellator 253, November 19th, so the week after, and it's Darian Caldwell versus AJ McKee. Darian is 15-3, and and AJ is coming in with a perfect 16-0 and record. So that's exciting news for Bellator uh, coming up next month. Again, it's a really interesting kind of style they do when they have these Grand Prix. You know, rather than just having... People fight as normal, and then someone earns a title shot. This is basically a tournament style, so it's very entertaining to watch. And, of course, that's coming up just here in less than a month now, so we'll be keeping a close eye on any details that come from that. And then, of course, the results that come from it as well will be right here on the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast. And then lastly for the news today, again, like I said, pretty short section. And as we know, when it's just myself here and not discussing these new segments and fights with Noah. The episode will tend to be a little shorter, so you don't have to bear with me too long. Um, But the last new segment is some unfortunate news. Um, Cynthia Calvillo has been removed from the UFC 254 card coming up this weekend due to a positive COVID-19 test. And she was actually scheduled for a huge women's flyweight fight against number four ranked Lauren Murphy. Cynthia, of course, was number three had just made her debut in the division and uh, got a big win. And um, let me check. I'm blanking right now on who that was against. It was against Jessica I, who we've already mentioned here today. So Cynthia moved up from strawweight, made her debut at the women's flyweight 125-pound division, took on Jessica I, defeated her, and was scheduled this weekend to fight number four ring Lauren Murphy, kind of solidify herself up there with a title shot contention. But unfortunately... Tested positive for COVID, but the fight has been salvaged. Lauren Murphy 
will now be taking on UFC newcomer Lilia Shakirova. And this will be Lilia's UFC debut, so keep an eye on that. We, of course, will be breaking that fight down more in depth with this Friday's UFC 254 preview episode. So we'll get into the nitty-gritty on Ilya, or Lilia, I'm sorry. We'll go into her backstory, her, uh, her past fights, where she's coming from, how she made it to the UFC. And if she can come in here Saturday night and beat a number four ring Lauren Murphy, who is very tough in that division that really kind of is always up in that top five. She could put herself right into title contention right off of her UFC debut, kind of similar to what we're seeing in the men's flyweight division with, um, ooh, I'm blanking again, Brandon Roy Val. I know Noah's going to love me shouting out his boy Brandon Roy Val. So that's a big fight there. Unfortunate for Cynthia that she can't take on Lauren Murphy, but at least the fight was able to be salvaged, and we will still be seeing... Um, at least a important flyweight fight nonetheless come this Saturday at UFC 254. But again, the new section was short today, and that's all I've got for you. But now, it is time to get in to the UFC Fight Island 6 result and recap episode. And first things first, I have to shout out Chris Cyborg because she defended her title in the women's featherweight division uh, this past weekend. It was actually this past Thursday evening at Bellator uh, 249. And she is now, I think, 23-2 and two or something crazy. But absolutely dominated in this fight from start to finish. Amazing stand-up, amazing groundwork and ground and pound. And actually recorded her first ever professional submission victory. After... 23 wins now I think it is she just now got her first submission victory so had to shout out Chris Cyborg over there at Bellator 249 defends her women's featherweight championship afterward began to talk about her wanting to rematch Amanda Nunes again which we've kind of all heard for years at this point now again and I know Noah would agree with me here he's not big on this whole um, cross organizational super fight thing so the odds of us getting a Bellator champion and Chris Cyborg coming back to rematch the UFC GOAT, uh, the GOAT and women's mixed martial arts in general, Amanda Nunes, is slim to none. Um, I'm not going to rule it out as impossible, but it's pretty close to impossible. Um, but had to shout out Chris Cyborg. Again, defended her women's featherweight championship at Bellator 249. And now the UFC Fight Island 6 results and recap here we go so again we had thomas almeida taking on jonathan martinez in the first fight on the main card very back and forth striking for three rounds it was an absolute pleasure to kind of watch both these guys still in their primes thomas almeida of course came into the ufc with a ton of hype was undefeated when he made his debut in the ufc of course, on a bit of a skid now. That's his fourth loss in the UFC with only one or two wins, I believe. But he's faced the top of the top in every one of those fights. Um, so Jonathan Martinez is a young, up-and-coming prospect. Very talented, very skillful. Again, a lot of striking here. It was basically round one for round two and round three. Strike, strike, strike. No groundwork hardly at all. Um, Martinez, in my opinion, had a clear... 30-27, which is three rounds to zero over Almeida. 
Um, Almeida by no means looked bad, in my opinion, but I think Martinez really is that good, and I think he's a fight or two away from cracking into that top 15. Again, Almeida's not ranked in that division, but he's right there in maybe the top 25, top 20. So again, for Jonathan Martinez, I believe one or two more fights, and he could crack into that top 15 of that division. Very entertaining fight. Furthest thing from boring if you love striking. Um, it was an incredible fight. But again, Jonathan Martinez gets the 30-27 from all three judges and the unanimous decision victory. Uh, moving into the second fight of the night, we had Claudio Silva versus James Krause at welterweight, 170 pounds. For those of you that don't know, James Krause is now on a five-fight win streak at welterweight. Um, he did lose his last fight before this, but it was a short-notice fight at middleweight to Trevin Giles, which we mentioned in the preview episode. But at his natural weight class of 170, he is on a tear right now. Um, and for Claudio Silva, he was coming into this fight on a 14-fight win streak, had not lost in many, many years, and technically his only loss on his professional record was a disqualification due to a legal elbow similar to John Jones. Um, James Krause came out and got the better of the exchanges throughout the first two rounds. I will say that Claudio Silva brought it back in round three, um, but not enough to win. I believe he even got the fight to the ground a couple times. I think he had two takedowns in the fight, but Krause is so experienced, such a, such a crafty veteran, and I really don't think Krause gets the respect that he deserves, and I think he really is a top 15 talent. It's just a matter of keeping him active, um, because of those of you that don't know, when James Krause is not fighting, he's actually a cornerman and a head coach, and a very good one at that, so he keeps busy, very knowledgeable in the fight game, a very high fight IQ. So I'm calling for James Krause to get a top 15 opponent, to be honest with you guys. If I'm taking a look here at this men's welterweight division, I think he is ready. Um, we, of course, have number 15, Robbie Lawler, getting ready to take on uh, Mike Perry. I think a fight with Krause and Mike Perry after that would be an incredible fight. Um, I would even like to see James Krause take on a guy like Anthony Pettis, who's ranked number 14. It would be a very fun stylistic matchup. James Krause has very crafty, um, uh, crisp boxing, but is known for his takedown or not his takedowns, but his submissions. I believe he's got 14 submission victories on his resume and eight KO TKOs, so he's about as well-rounded as they come. He doesn't have this one-punch knockout power, but he has the technique in his striking to put you down and then finish you with strikes via TKO. So Krause is a very good fighter. If you have not tuned into a James Krause fight, you are missing out. He always is a part of very good fights, very good wars, and in my opinion is finally deserving of the top 15 at this welterweight division. Again, he's on a five-fight win streak now, um, so I think it's time that he gets a guy with a number next to his name, um, unless it is a guy like Mike Perry, but I really enjoy him taking on Anthony Pettis, who is right there at number 14 in that division. And of course, we all know how skillful Anthony Pettis is. Former champion, used to be the best in the world on the Wheaties boxes, so it would be a huge test for Anthony to prove he's still got it, a huge test huge test for James Krause to prove he belongs in the top of the top of that division. And of course, it would be the biggest name on James Krause's resume. 
So again, our second fight of the night, James Krause gets the victory over Claudio Silva with a 30-27 from all three judges, unanimous decision. Next, we go to the light heavyweight, our third fight of the evening, Jimmy Crute taking on Modestus Bukowskis. Bukakis. No, you're going to have to text me and let me know if that's correct. But anyway, my goodness gracious, ladies and gentlemen, Jimmy Crute has the power. Um, on the notepad here, I literally wrote, OMG, that was a nasty KO, um, in all caps, of course. And that's precisely what it was. From start to finish, again, this only lasted two minutes and one second into round number one before Jimmy Crute landed a brutal right cross that put Modestus down. Um, it was basically a one-punch KO, but the ref really couldn't get there in time, and Jimmy um, closed in on him and landed some shots on the ground before the ref could step in to stop the fight. So it was ruled a KO, if I'm not mistaken. Jimmy Crute is for real. That is moving his record now to 12-1. and one. Um, I believe nearly all of those are via finish, and most of them, most of those finishes are via KO, TKO. This man is for real. He has the power, the technique, the crisp boxing. Not quite ready for top 15 in my opinion, but with a division like the light heavyweight division right now with a lot of life to it, but still not that many big name guys He's not that far away from cracking into the top 15. I think a fight maybe against a guy um, like, oh, I'm blanking, I'm blanking. It might come to me. Um, but nevertheless, he's one or two wins away from cracking into that top 15. Um, and I think he really could be a potential star. Um, he's from overseas, so another guy that carries the weight on his shoulders from a Another country with a lot of hype behind him, a lot of fans. Um, and these prospects like this are what we love to see. And of course, Crute is, I would consider him a veteran now in the UFC. So again, one or two more wins for Jimmy. And I think he's rightfully deserving of cracking into that top 15 against guys like OSP, uh, Paul Craig, Shogun Hua, so on and so forth. So Jimmy Crute gets the... KO, two minutes and one second into round number one against Modestus. Now on to our co-main event of the evening. This was a big one. We had number one ranked Caitlin Chukagian, who was coming off of a victory against Antonina Shevchenko, which of course is the champion um, Valentina Shevchenko's sister. Before that, Caitlin had actually fought for the title against Valentina and got finished I believe it was in the, let me check right here, third round, uh, Valentina finished her. Valentina, of course, getting ready to defend that title again next month. Now, on the other hand, we have Jessica Andrade, who made her debut into the UFC at the women's uh, bantamweight, which is 135 pounds, was incredible there, then moves down to women's strawweight, which is 115 pounds, simply because she's a very short, stocky fighter, so it made more sense for her to fight down rather than at 135, where she was very outsized. Um, and she actually became the strawweight champion of the world after defeating Rose Namajunas with a vicious slam uh, KO knockout. And then, of course, in her first title defense, lost to the now champion Wei Li Zhang over there in China. And I believe it was 42 seconds. Um, but Andrade has been there and done that. She became the only woman in UFC history 
to have a victory in three different weight classes. That, of course, is at um, women's bantamweight, like I mentioned at the beginning, and then women's strawweight obviously became the champion there, and then Saturday night got a victory at the women's flyweight division against the number one ranked woman in the division, immediately catapults Jessica into number one contender status. And I believe that she does deserve the winner of Valentina Shevchenko and Jennifer Maya. Again, that fight is happening next month at UFC 255. And especially after a convincing win like Jessica had. So again, this ended in the first round. Not too many notes here, but Andrade was easily able to close the distance very quickly and got a huge takedown within the first minute of the fight. Now, in our preview, Noah and I kind of discussed how Caitlin was going to have to utilize her reach. Um, she was, I think, six inches taller, had a six-inch reach advantage, was very long, and she needed to utilize her that to manage the distance. Um, so Jessica did not close the gap. But Jessica was able to do so. Jessica really is a top-tier martial artist, and she showed it on Saturday night. So she closes the distance easy. Um, gets pretty decent ground and pound, but Caitlin does manage to find her way up. From there, Jessica kind of just kept the pressure on her the whole time, kept her back up against the fence, um, controlled the octagon, controlled the pace of the fight. Caitlin never really had any moments. Um, she landed a couple kicks to the body, front kicks, to manage that distance, but Jessica is just a bull. She just continues to stalk her opponents down no matter what danger she may be putting herself into, and that's why she's really a fan favorite and why she is successful. Um, and then I have here, wow, Andrade is a beast no matter what weight. She landed brutal body shots that put Caitlin down. Uh, landed, I believe, the first shot was a left hook, to the body that happened very quickly. It was hard to see in real time. Um, and Caitlin actually let out a scream in the middle of the octagon and how much pain she was in. Jessica, of course, realizes this, immediately sprints over, tries to throw a flying knee, backs Caitlin up against the fence, lands, I think, one or two more big, brutal body hooks, um, and Caitlin dropped down, and Andrade gets the finish with five seconds left in round number one. Um, it was a TKO. Jessica looked incredible. She looked um, like she kind of, this might be her natural weight class, I guess. Again, it's only been one fight. I can't say too much. Um, but size-wise, she still has her thick, strong legs. Very built, very muscular. Of course, Caitlin is very tall for this division. So I think overall, compared to the other women in this weight class, Andrade matches up better size-wise. Caitlin's kind of the outlier there. And of course, it was no problem for Jessica. Easily, again, closed that distance, controlled the entire fight, did what she wanted to do, and that's what I believe is next for Jessica. I think they will give her the winner of uh, Shevchenko and Jennifer Maya. If Shevchenko can win and defend her belt, this is a huge test for Valentina. Jessica will be the most experienced, um, probably just overall best fighter she's taken on outside of Joanna young Jacek. Um, and in terms of defending her belt, this would be her toughest title defense. So I am very intrigued by that matchup. I am assuming that's what the UFC is wanting. And that's why they put Jessica in here with the number one ranked Caitlin Chukagian in the first place. Now on the other end for Caitlin, 
she did mention, and I think we talked about this on the preview episode, that she's kind of just going fight by fight right now. Um, she's wanting to start a family soon, so she doesn't really have a specific number of fights left in mind that she wants to do. Um, she, of course, wanted to make it back to a championship fight, and if she could have beaten Jessica, she may have been able to do so. Excuse me, got to take a quick drink. Again, these one-person podcasts get the throat dry pretty quick. Uh, Noah, you owe me a water. <laughs> but um, again, yeah, for Caitlin, still very good, very technical, knows what she's doing, but with this kind of, I don't want to say doubt, but when she's not really sure what she wants in her future, and with a loss to Andrade, it's going to be even harder for her to make it back to a title shot. So I think maybe she just kind of takes a second, um, looks at the division, thinks about what would be best for her, if she were to come back, I honestly kind of enjoy the matchup with her and a number seven ranked Roxanne Mataferi. Again, the rest of the division's kind of booked right now. We've got Valentina taking on the number two ranked Jennifer Maya. Cynthia Calvillo, of course, who just tested positive for COVID. So Lauren Murphy, who's ranked fourth, is fighting at UFC 254. Then, like I mentioned in the news, we have number five and number six, Jessica I and Joanne Calderwood, set to fight in January. So that takes us to number seven ranked Roxanne Mataferi. Um, potentially, if Cynthia doesn't want to fight Lauren Murphy, or even if Lauren loses to Lilia, if she doesn't want to fight the winner of that, considering she was supposed to fight on UFC 254, I could see the UFC trying to do Caitlin Chukagian versus Cynthia Calvillo. Um, that was a fight that I was kind of calling for and wanting to see in the first place once Cynthia debuted at the flyweight division. Um, obviously, we didn't get to see that fight happen. So if they don't pair Caitlin with the Cynthia Calvillo, I think a fight against Roxanne Mataferi would be a very good fight for her to take. I don't want to call it a, a bounce-back fight by any means because Roxanne has proved time and time again that she can still hang with the best of them. But... I just think stylistically, Caitlyn matches up strongly against so many different types of fighters just because of her overall balanced um, skill set that she has, along with her incredible reach and size and height. So Roxanne kind of is the next tallest woman in this division, so it would be an interesting size matchup stylistically. They both are very similar, very good wrestlers. Similar striking, I would give the slight edge to Caitlyn, but Roxanne is still improving every fight that she comes out. So those are kind of the two options I see for Caitlyn. And then again for Je Jessica, I think it's title shot or nothing. She came in, beat the number one contender relatively easy, um, to be honest with you, and she looked great for the entire 4 minutes and 55 seconds. So I think a title shot is going to be next, no matter who wins between Valentina and Jennifer Maya. And then lastly, we go on to the main event of the evening, a fight that was over a year in the making. Brian Ortega, number two ranked at Featherweight, versus the Korean zombie Chang Chan, excuse me, Chan Sung Jung, who was ranked number four um, with the men's featherweight division. And I'm gonna be honest with you guys. Brian Ortega last night looked like the next featherweight champion of the world. <laughs> I'm just going to be completely honest with you. That's what I saw last night. This Brian Ortega 2.0 
is a problem for anyone in this division. Um, he came out and dominated, honestly, from start to finish. Korean Zombie, of course, had a few of his moments, but nothing that made you jump out of your seat or anything besides just landing some, some hard shots. I'm not going to take it away from him. But Brian absolutely did whatever he wanted to do, um, whether it was... Well, really, it wasn't even on the ground much now that I think about it. Um, he threatened with the takedowns, which I think played a big factor in the fight. But really, the entire fight took place standing, and Ortega looked like an incredible striker. And we're talking about a guy that's known for his incredible jiu-jitsu, his incredible submissions, his toughness, his grit. And then last night, to see the striking that he has added into his game is honestly terrifying for this division. And um, so I'll just kind of go over the fight here. Again, it went all five rounds. Um, as expected throughout the first round, big power strikes from both. Ortega did land the bigger shots, and he dropped the Korean Zombie with, I think it was a right hook. Um, but it happened really quick. Korean Zombie went down and kind of got right back up. But I had Ortega up 1-0. Then in the second round, Ortega dropped uh, the Korean Zombie with a spinning back elbow out of nowhere and then got a late takedown and finished on top. So he um, was up 2-0 on my scorecards. And along with myself and really everyone, Korean Zombie was winning that second round before the spinning elbow. Um, he was getting the better of the shots, better of the exchanges. So uh, Korean Zombie looked good in that second round, but that, that spinning elbow really changed the remaining three rounds of the fight, in my opinion, just because, again, on top of Korean Zombie having to worry about the incredible grappling and jiu-jitsu of Ortega, now he really saw the threat that Ortega was presenting on the feet. So the spinning back elbow lands, he gets the late takedown, um, and finishes out round number two on top. So Ortega is up 2-0 on the scorecards. He had a great third round. It was, again, very back and forth. But Ortega got the better of the exchanges, had him up 3-0. In round four, it was more of the same. And at this point, I didn't even get into the, you know, what was taking place in the fight. I simply wrote, Ortega looks amazing. Went up 4-0 after that fourth round. And then, ladies and gentlemen, on the notepad, and you know how sacred this notepad is to the Blue Average Joe's MMA podcast, I wrote... Ortega is the next champ. Perfect performance. An easy 5-0. And again, it was a 50-45 from all three judges. Unanimous decision for Brian Ortega. He really, I believe, poses a threat to the champion, Alex Volkanovsky, in every aspect, every facet of mixed martial arts. Now, we know that Alexander had the wrestling advantage over Max which we saw come into play a little bit here and there. Alexander looked great on the feet. I'm not going to take that away from him um, in the first fight, that is. And then we know how controversial the second fight is between him and Max. Um, unfortunately, of course, I'm a big Max Holloway fan. Nothing to take away from Volkanovski. I think he's a really good person, a really great champion and ambassador for the sport. Um, but I thought Max Holloway won that fight along with many others, including Noah, um, UFC President Dana White, and uh, probably almost anyone you ask. So I don't want to call it a robbery. We don't like to throw that word around. But me and Noah have mentioned that Alexander needs a convincing title defense to prove he is the true champion at the men's featherweight division. And after last night, 
There's no way that I book any other fight for Alexander Volkanovsky other than Brian Ortega. That's how good he was last night. I at first was a little skeptical about giving Ortega another title fight simply because before Saturday night, Brian's last fight was, of course, for the championship against Max Holloway, which was nearly two years ago, and Max absolutely destroyed him, um, brutalized him. Ortega had his moments. Um, he looked decent striking, but Max really taught him a lesson. Last night's Brian Ortega would have had a completely different fight with that Max Holloway of two years ago. And that is why, simply with this literally nearly perfect, if not perfect, performance by Ortega, he deserves a championship fight. No doubt in my mind. Um, and the striking, from what I saw last night, he has the advantage over Volkanovski. Grappling. Ortega does have the advantage. <clears throat> now, Alexander is a better wrestler, but the problem is, if Alexander gets the fight to the ground, that's where Ortega is really at his best. And the fact that he added this incredible striking to his arsenal of weapons, I, I keep saying it, it's terrifying. Because if Volk wants to go to the ground, Ortega can easily submit him from his back. He's done it before, and he will do it again. And on the ground, Ortega, or on the feet, excuse me, Ortega is going to be the longer guy, the taller guy. We know that Alexander does not have a very long reach. He's very short, very stocky. He's kind of built like, you know, if like Max Holloway was way larger. Um, Alexander did technically have a longer reach, which I think is rather odd. But it just you can see the distance control in the octagon when he fought Max. Max um, kind of had to manage it more than Alexander, and Alexander, of course, would find his way to get in and close the distance, similar to how Andrade did with Caitlin. I'm like comparing Volkanovski and Andrade at this point. Um, so this Ortega from Saturday night is a scary dude, and I think really has the advantage in every aspect of a fight with Volkanovski. Therefore, that's what led me to say he's the next champ. Um, I'm by no means saying that Volkanovski can't win, but Ortega looked that good. Um, if you all did not see the fight Saturday night against the Korean Zombie, I highly recommend looking up highlights on YouTube, going to ESPN Plus and re-watching the fight, and you'll see what I'm saying. It's hard to put into words how incredible he looked, um, the skills that he presented, and we didn't even get to see him on the ground because the fight never went there. And we know how good he is there. His submissions are literally next level compared to most people in this men's featherweight division. So Volkanovski um, even acknowledged Ortega last night. He's thankful that there's finally some direction in the men's featherweight division. It seemed it was just at an awkward stage because we didn't know if Max was going to get the rematch again. And uh, we, Of course, it's a beat in your year. I've been meaning to fight forever now, and it keeps falling through. This fight took over a year to happen. So last night kind of really put some clarity in the division. Um, Ortega, 1 million percent, deserves the title next, and I think that's what the UFC are going to do. Now for Korean Zombie, still incredibly talented. Still showed that zombie persona about him. Again, he ate that spinning back elbow like it was nothing. He dropped, of course, but got right back up and just kept stalking down Ortega in the typical Korean Zombie fashion that we all know and love. However... He took some damage. He took some hard shots. I would take some time to recoup. 
uh, regenerate, get your chin back under you, get your head healthy, get in a strong mental state. Um, he's still a top five uh, in that division, no doubt about it. And I personally love a fight between Korean Zombie and number six ranked Calvin Cater. Um, if you don't know, Calvin Cater is kind of having, I don't want to say a resurgence because he's still a younger guy. Um, not been in the UFC forever, but he's on a two-fight win streak right now with a TKO or a KO over TKO over Jeremy Stevens, and then a very good performance he had against Dan Ige, and before that lost the decision to number three ranked Zabit uh, Magomed Sharipov, who we all know is an absolutely incredible prospect. So in terms of the featherweight division, this is kind of what I want to see here. I I would love to see T City Brian Ortega take on. Uh, Volkanovski for the belt next. Number three, Zabit. And number five, Yair Rodriguez, I believe is a fight that needs to happen. So I still want those two to fight whenever they're both healthy and can manage to get, you know, get the contract signed and get to that arena and lock each other in the cage. Um, and then, again, I would like to see Korean Zombie versus number six, Calvin Cater. Now, if you notice, there was one person left out when doing this matchmaking. And that is number one ranked former champion, Max Blessed Holloway, the arguably the best featherweight um, that we've ever seen. He's in a hard spot right now after last night's fight. Um, I would love to see him get back to the title, but now it's a matter of who does he fight, right? I would love to see him um, fight Zabit, but I, I think the Zabit-Yair fight needs to happen. Uh, I would even love to see him fight Korean Zombie, but it's hard if you're the UFC to justify Korean Zombie fighting or t um, fighting Max when Max is technically number one and Ortega was ranked number two. And then I even was texting uh, some friends Saturday night after the main event, and I was like, you know, I really like Max versus Calvin Cater. Or one of my buddies said that, and I agreed with him. I think that is a good fight. I think it's a favorable matchup for Max, even though Cater is very dangerous right now and on, at a really good spot in his career. But that's a lot of high-risk, high-reward if you're Max taking on a guy ranked number six. Again, a lot of people don't take much into the rankings, but at the end of the day, they are there, and we can't just ignore them. So it's, it's an awkward spot right now for Max Holloway. Does he... Maybe just take an extended delay. Again, he's been a guy that's been very active all these years. So does he just take a long layoff? Um, kind of wait and see. Maybe if Zabit and Yair fight, does he fight the winner of that? And then Ortega goes on to fight Volkanovski. Does he go ahead and take a fight against Calvin Cater? Does the UFC want to put Chan, uh, Chan Sung Jung against Max Holloway? There's really a lot of moving parts here. So... Even though we got some clarity last night when Ortega got this victory, there also are still so many intangibles here that leave the division in a somewhat murky spot. I think more than anything, Ortega's win just solidified who the number one contender is and who's getting the next title shot. But then for the rest of the top five, even top six, top seven, once Josh, uh, Josh Emmett is healthy again, it's a really a toss-up on what matchups the UFC wants to make. And really, there's not a bad one. If you look at this division right now, it's at the strongest point it's ever been at. And with and if everyone can be healthy and active, there are a lot of incredible matchups here. And this could arguably be the second most stacked division there is, uh, right below the lightweight division. 
so that's kind of my long rant and tangent about this featherweight division right now, about Ortega, about Korean Zombie. Again, if you did not get to see the fight Saturday night, I highly recommend you go check it out because Ortega put on an absolute clinic. Um, so again, Ortega gets the victory in the main event of UFC Fight Island 6, 50-45 from all three judges, unanimous decision. Brian Ortega, T-City, 2.0. He's back and better than he's ever looked before. That is going to do it for the UFC Fight Island 6 results and recap episode. Again, being that I was uh, on a solo mission today, probably not a super long episode, so I do apologize for that. Um, again, Noah and I were working uh, remotely this past week, so it's a little bit more difficult to kind of get together at good, uh, you know, at the right times. Um, but we will be back together, and uh, that leads me into kind of the remainder of the week for Wednesday's episode. You can expect, um, of course, that special episode day, as Noah likes to say, it's a little extra special. Uh, and for that episode, we are going to be doing our UFC hot takes. And really, I take that back, it's going to be MMA hot takes. Of course, we are the MMA podcast, um, so that's going to be really fun. We don't really have a layout in mind, necessarily. I think we're more so going to sit down right in front of the mic and just start talking and see where it leads us. So if you have any opinions um, about MMA, kind of, you know, hot takes that you think you really enjoy or you agree with that not many others do, feel free to send those in to us via the voice messages. Leave a comment on YouTube, on Instagram, on Twitter. Uh, let us know. We'd be happy to share that in our podcast on Wednesday. It's going to be a really fun episode. It could be some controversial topics in there. We could have some arguing um, so it should be fun. It'll be a very different episode than what uh, you guys are used to listening to. And then Friday, we of course have the big one. We've got UFC 254, Habib versus Gaethje for the lightweight championship of the world. A special start time Saturday at 2 p.m. So if you're looking to watch those fights, it is at 2 p.m. We've got some middle of the day action you know we could have some darties and stuff if you all are into that so it's going to be a fun day on saturday so friday is going to be our preview episode for that it's going to be a long one if i had to imagine um i believe it's a five fight main card now because we had uh, one fight fall off uh, due to a positive covid test for rafael dos anjos but we still have an incredible card we've got robert whitaker uh, versus Jared Cannonier, number one, number one contender fight for that middleweight division. Who's going to take on Adesanya next? We have Alexander Volkov taking on Walt Harris. We've got the Lauren Murphy fight against Lilia uh, Shakiri Pova, who's making her UFC debut. Um, and we've got the long-awaited uh, Kutabella versus uh, Magomed fight. Uh, finally, the rematch we've all been waiting for after that controversial stoppage earlier in the year. And we'll be breaking that entire main card down for you all on Friday. Um, but until then, you can catch myself on Twitter and Instagram at dsalee14. You can catch Noah on Twitter and Instagram at ntbaker underscore. And of course, you can find our podcast on Twitter and Instagram at baj uh, underscore, excuse me. MMA 
podcast. Again, that's B-A-J underscore MMA podcast. It's going to be a great week. Again, thank you guys for hanging out with me today to start your week off on this Monday. Um, Again, Noah and I will be back together uh, starting for Wednesday's special episode, hopefully. So we'll be bringing you guys uh, more great episodes. It's going to be a great week. And uh, glad you all could join us to start your week out on this Monday. Again, we're the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast. And with that, I'm out. And we'll see you guys all on Wednesday.